0: job, Dwayne. Thank you. So if you uh, would like to join with me, um, this amazing love of Jesus Christ is is found in the cross and in the empty tomb. And um, if you would be willing to just perhaps consider this truth, um, I don't have a better message than this. It demands your life and your all. So uh, that's the invitation of the journey of faith, and as a follower of Jesus, it's just the invitation to die to self, so that you might live toward Jesus. And so, I would I would love to venture with you through Scripture in the 14th chapter of the Book of John, and just um, hear from Him. And I would love for you also to do me a favor, and um, just plan to listen quickly. I looked at my watch and then I decided just to put it away. And so we'll listen, you know, relatively quickly. And I promise, I mean, no doubt we'll be out of here by two or three o'clock today. It should be, it should be an awesome day. And so um, I wanted, I wanted to begin in a way that I did not intend to, and it's not in my notes, but uh, we were off and, and some of the things we talked about, and I don't remember the acronym by heart and, uh, but just rejecting passivity and living courageously as people of the cross, not just men of the cross, but people of the cross. And I'm, I'm just really thankful for this random screaming in our preschool hall and, uh, that happened today. And it was maybe a better word would be shouts of joy that happened in our preschool hall as Matt and Jessica walked in. It was just absolutely awesome. And, um, most of you, in fact, I would say, 99% of you have not met Matt and Jessica and I had no idea you'd be here today. So I want to tell the story of the first time we met and just what it means to reject passivity and to live courageously for the sake of the cross is uh, this guy named Matt Bush when I first moved here uh, gave me a call and Matt and Jessica are here. Wave at them so they know who I'm talking about. Uh, they uprooted after several uh, ministry opportunities in this city. Uh, they uprooted and have been the last six years. Six years uh, burgeoning and leading, and oh my goodness, has it been leading, following, praying, fasting, and I've just followed them as they've been on this journey in um, Haiti leading in orphan care. And uh, the first time I met him, I just kind of made an assumption, which was a very poor assumption, because he said, I want to have lunch with you, and I just assumed, you know, I knew they were going, and I assumed that the lunch was going to be us serving alongside, which would have been a great lunch, but that's not what I got at all. And uh, I love when people come in and say, we're not going to live passively. We're going to step into the void where Jesus is at work. And we're going to aggressively pursue him. And we're going to live courageously for the sake of his gospel. And this is why. And so I sat down at Nukes on Southside because Nukes and Mandarin didn't exist. And we just shared a lunch and shared a meal and talked. And when we finished it, the big um, the big moment for him wasn't, uh, how can you help us advance to Haiti? It was this. I've been mentored by someone that's significant in your life. Your dad as I was at Southside with you guys, is that right, Southside? All right, which is on the south somewhere, yeah. As, as I was at Arlington, which I completely butchered, and, and I walked a journey, your dad just spoke life into me. And here, here's the reality of our life right now. We're kind of giving everything away and we're going to a third world country t- for the sake of Jesus. So I have nothing to give you but this. I can never pay your dad back. But I can pray for his son. And that was my first time to meet you. And I have I have told that story never from this pulpit, but to so many people to talk about what it means to not live passively, but live courageously. And so Matt just looked at me and said, you know, we're going on mission. And here's what I am intending to do. I am intending to pray for you as pastor, as you lead on a regular basis, as just a tribute to the the investment of your father's life in my life, because that's what I can give. And so I would like you to just say, "Hey, to Matt and Jessica, I am so happy that you're worshiping with us, and I am so happy. Um, I am just so happy to be able to talk about this. This is what it looks like as people of the cross. You know, I don't have a much. I don't really have much to give you today, except Jesus, but that's more than enough." And as your pastor, I just say that not lightly. I just want for us to gather around the cross of Christ and just meet him where he is and meet him in what he's saying. And this we've been walking through the I Am statements of Jesus for the last few weeks. And so I would love for us to open our hearts um, to the I Am of Christ and just what it looks like to walk with him and to learn more about him. And so that was awesome. I almost hit you, Lauren. That would have been beautiful. And so it's an interesting journey right now. If you were with me in the 14th chapter, um, Jesus, as he makes the next couple of weeks of I Am statements, he's in the last 48 hours of his life. And he's also um, sharing with the disciples. There's this, this urgency about his heart and his life and what he's telling them, how he's, how he's you know, his urgency is beautiful because it's built around a mill, very similar to our Good Friday experience. It's built around a mill, around communion. And um, ultimately, I don't think they had a rave egg hunt, but it's, it's all really kind of common there of just this passion for what Jesus is sharing with them. And there's this urgency that he's making his way to the cross and he wants them to know about this. And to know I am is to know who we are. To know I am is to know who I am. That's one of the themes we have and he says in this context in John 14:6 I am the way and the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me that's where we'll land today for a few minutes and and next weekend um imagine this he is the resurrection and the life found in John the 16th chapter Jesus is kind of starting out saying to the the, the disciples of his the followers of his I'm I'm going to be here just a few more minutes I mean, the clock is on go right now, and it's moving forward. And then I'm going to leave you guys, and in a little more time, there will be more of me. But in just a few more minutes, I'm going to be gone from this circle. And this is the extraordinary challenge of him, because the... Um, the. The character of the disciples is mind-boggling. They're wringing their hands for a moment. And can I just return to the reality of the presence for Jesus? In this John 14 passage, he is 48 hours. He is within an hour or so of one of these 12 betraying him. He is 48 hours from being slaughtered for our transgressions. That's where he is in this moment, which makes John 14, 1 such an extraordinary statement because if that's where I'm sitting and I'm sitting... In in the middle of you, and I'm about to go give my life for you, or if I'm sitting at nukes and I'm about to go advance everything, I'm typically not expecting this response. Here's what I would like to do. I would like, as I go sell everything for the gospel, to pray for you. Jesus is looking and going, it's bigger than that. As I'm going to be pierced for your transgressions, and I'm going to be wounded for your iniquities, as the stripes that I will bear will bring healing to your soul. Here's how he begins John 14, 1. And as you wring your hands at this moment, I won't. So do not let your hearts be troubled. If you trust God, Trust me. Now I kinda know in this moment you'd like me to advance forward because maybe what time it is, but I just have to pause here. These guys would drive me nuts. And I don't know if you can sit down at this moment, recline at this table, and be in this moment with him. But if you're a leader in any way possible, not only would these guys drive you nuts, but you're probably serving alongside and working with them. You literally are at a point where you are going to bleed out for the sake of who they are. And you are the one assuaging them in this moment. You're the one looking and going. I know your hands are ringing right now. I know this is tough for you. I'm going to leave and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to bear the wrath of mankind forever. So let me wrap my arms around you and just tell you, don't let your little hearts be troubled. Don't worry about where you are. My blood will fill the streets. But don't don't let your heart be troubled. I mean, if I were Jesus, and and I'm not, and actually what I'm about to say doesn't even sound bad. If I were Jesus, I would go, why are you wringing your hands? I mean, do you not remember Lazarus, the guy who was dead but isn't dead anymore? Have you forgotten him? I mean, we're reclining, and I'm sharing of you of the providential, sovereign work of God, and your hands are wringing, your hearts are beating fast, you're struggling, and I've already shown you the dead no longer dead. Can we get a grip right now? That would be your pastor's response. I mean, weren't you there when the storm was raging and you truly did have pause because you didn't know me that well yet, but you didn't under, you you were just terrified and I not only calmed the physical storm, I calmed the storm in your life or maybe the other storm where you were not with me, but I was with you and I was praying for you and then I was walking on water with you and Peter walked on water with me. Any recall of that here in John 14? Why are we wringing hands still? And maybe maybe if he could do a little prophecy, because he's very well aware of this. Why are the 12 of you, one of whom will fully betray me, the other 11 are going to run? What in the world is going on with you right now? Have you forgotten about the 20,000 on a hill that we fed with a couple of fish and bread? Your hand wringing. And I would be very judgmental of them if it weren't for the reality that I have wrung my hands 50 times this week while the sovereign king of glory has borne the cross so there is no need for that. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So I would cast stones at them except that just, it's like throwing axes with these guys. You're nervous the whole time. i guess going to come back and hit you. He looks just, I'm about to be crucified. I thought of the first line of a purpose-driven life right now. Hey, guys, this story's not about you, but that's not Jesus. That's not where he lands in John 14. He's just in the middle of their doubts, and this is real. meet you. In the middle of their doubts, in the middle of their struggles, in the middle of their hand-wringing, and unequivocally a lot of us in this room brought that into this room, Jesus has extraordinary compassion. He just meets them where they are and knowing it's not about them. He encourages them along the way and he says to them in John 14, 1 through 4, if you want to follow along, don't let your heart be troubled. Here's what I'm after. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If, if that's not true, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where I'm going. And I love Thomas in this very moment in the heart of this scripture, because Thomas walks in in verse five and says, Lord, actually, we don't know where you're going. How can we know this way? If you, I mean, if you know Thomas, poor Thomas, he has an extraordinarily bad rap. He struggles to believe. And in essence, if you see the encounters, he starts this way. I don't believe you, Jesus. And he will carry on this way until the Spirit of Christ infuses him. And then he, just, he believes Jesus so radically that you will hear Thomas singing of the wonders of the power of the resurrected Jesus and the filling of the Spirit in his life. So much so that he will be singing anthems from a fire as he is being burned at the stake. That's Thomas. Please don't call him the doubter. But he had some doubts in this moment. He just really wanted to know, I want to believe you. So here's what I'm asking. Where are you taking us? To quote one of our guys from the men's retreat this weekend. "We've, We've put everything in. Here's what we want you to know, Jesus. As we sit at this table, we've put all of our bets on you. We've pushed every chip in. We are here with you. We've sacrificed everything we have for you. And now you're telling us you're going away. And we want to know. We want to know. Thomas is asking this question, and I think it's a beautiful question. Jesus, can you get us home? If you were going to ask a question today, it would be a good one on, good, on this Palm Sunday. Jesus, can you get us home? Can you take us home? This is a beautiful, can you take us to the place where our souls find rest? That's what I really want to know, Jesus. Can you take us there? Can you take us to a place where we are secure and whole and complete? And Jesus answers that with a simple sentence. And I would like for that to guide just the next few minutes of our of our conversation, if you will, today. Of our Holy Spirit prayerfully impacting our hearts and bringing solace to our soul today. Because Jesus says this to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, that is the pathway for the home of your soul. It's where I would love to venture with you. No one comes to the Father, Thomas, except through me. And so this question, will you get us home? This is the place of soul's rest. So I have a very complicated outline, and it involves three very quick thoughts. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. I don't want to complicate it too much for us. Jesus is the only Savior that we have. He is the way. He's the only way of rescue from the dominion of darkness. And he is the only pathway for hope for the kingdom of light. He is the path to the kingdom. The great Chasm between you and home is not a chasm of mystery sitting around a table breaking bread with him and wondering how you're going to forge forward because you've cashed in for a couple of days. The great chasm is the eternal rest of your soul and to be able to live out your life in light and view of eternity. And the Lord says, I am going to build a way. It will be a pathway that will bear all of the wrath that you have that belongs in your court. That was a huge thank you, Jesus. The great chasm between you and home, between you and rest, between you and soul-level communion with your Creator is not the acquiescence of more resources. It is not that you can have broader, more... robust homes in this city or you could have greater things. It is not so that you could have more likes. It is not so that you could be more of an influencer. It is no relationship that is in the forefront. Here's what it is. It is the way of my path. It is the way of my cross. And this is the beautiful part of Jesus' answer for that because the guys listening to this would have understood what a powerful rendering had. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again Receive you to myself. Where I am. I want you to be there also. This would be the contextualization. Of the Jewish ceremony. Of betrothal. As he says to. to as, a, as a husband says to a wife. And they've kind of. Worked out all the details. This, these details being the cross. The tomb. And an empty grave. As we have worked this out. I am betrothed to you. I will go and build a home for you. I will craft this for the wonderment. Of who you are. But more importantly. It will be for the care of your soul. And then I will come again and receive you to myself. And that is just a beautiful point that I don't really want to preach today. But it is so powerful because to receive him to himself was to bring the entirety of the village along for the ride. And so if you want to be a part of this way, then Jesus is going to turn right and left to all the heavenlies as you prepare to breathe your last breath. He's going to tell them to strike up the band and he is going to return in full force, whether that be on this earth as you breathe your last breath or on this earth. as he comes for the second coming he will call all of heaven and advance in this coming for you in this way of Christ because he has been forging a home for you in the rest of your soul and in that movement toward you he's already come and said I have birth in you this and so here's what his home is not it's not this, for me, I'm going old school. It's not this pimped out house that's amazing that you like to dream about in heaven. I don't know if you're going to have, I don't think you can say pimped out house in heaven at the same time. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, we like this in church. We're going to have a mansion here. We're going to live in squalor on earth, so we have a mansion here, right? So I don't know that. Here's what I, here's what I believe Jesus is crafting for us In our way to heaven, he is crafting a cross for us. He is crafting from wood a place where blood would saturate that wood from his hands and feet, from his side and from his heart, so that we would have a pathway to soul care. I don't think he's sitting around going, you're going to have big stuff there. I think he's sitting around going, the big stuff is being crafted on this cross. And I am crafting a way that you cannot build yourself because I'm the way. And so I, I don't. I don't think this is a big you know '90s move that bus moment where you're going to stay going. It's. It, it might be. I mean, there it is described pretty. Beautifully, streets of gold, and for you know, all this stuff, I just—I I don't think that I'm sitting around longing for a large manor on a hillside on the west side of heaven. I think I am sitting in longing to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ in the center of heaven. That's really where my heart runs, and I hope it says as well. It's not a Chip and Joanna Gaines. Let's you know, let's do this. You know, let's fix it up. I think Jesus is crafting something far more beautiful for us the bridge to this room is a bloodstained cross it's the way it's the path of righteousness i would like to just read scripture to you that was prophesied about him he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him this is isaiah a couple of thousand years before jesus bore the cross no appearance that we should desire him so i don't think it's going to be this huge house Although it might be, you could still dream that. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet, 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 he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains and we in turn rebellion. We in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all went astray like sheep. We all turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He just simply said, you want a big reveal? It will be the cross. And if you want a really move that bus moment, why don't you show up about three days later? That will be the validation. The cross is where Paul says, after the filling of the Holy Spirit, that he will boast. Galatians 6 says this, if I'm going to boast walking about this earth, it will be in the cross of Christ, because this earth becomes strangely dim to me in light of that cross. So I'll boast there. And oh, he said in Romans one. By the way, the validation of the cross is the empty tomb that I have resurrected from the dead, and I am a good and great King of glory. He's the way, and He's the truth. It's a very simple second thought. All right, move forward more quickly with me. Jesus is the way to God because He is the truth of God. If I could say this very simply, and I think it's popping up on the screen, Jesus is God's gracious disclosure of Himself. Or if you want to quote scripture, it's far better. In John 1, he says, He is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen the glory. We see the living God through him. This is truth stepping in. And it's truth that is filled with grace. And perhaps that is my predominant thought for this moment is that Jesus is truth. And he's stepping in saying this is this is who I am and I want you to know that I am the full disclosure of who God is in his graciousness and his passion. In Colossians 1:15 through 20 it just says after saying in verse 13 of the first chapter of the book of Colossians he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. There's some truth Glory to God. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's why. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the disclosure of God himself. He's the firstborn over all creation. Everything, including you in this moment, was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible, the invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. If I could just pause and say, he is truth. He's just He is before all things. By all things, they are held together. He is also the head of the body, his church. Rest easy, he leads well, church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. Rest easy, goodbye death. That just made me happy. And so, uh, so that he might have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself. Whether in, on earth or in heaven, here's how. By making peace through the blood of the cross, if you would let your hands down and breathe right now and not wring your hands over the things that are temporal, Jesus would consider that you are receiving the truth right now. And he holds us in his hands. He knew us before the foundation of the world. He is, he is the foundation of the world. He has spoken us into being, and he is head over all things. And I know, I know, I know, as I just introduced you guys that, that serving on the board, Haiti, there's like 9,000 questions that run through your life about how you get bread for the next day. And Jesus is going, if you walk with me. I know many of us don't have that question, but we have, how can I walk through this journey with my spouse? How can I make way through this with my kid? How do I walk through the need? It's abounding. And I would just come to you and say, truth is here. And he is first the way. And He is the truth. And I love the truth of Jesus. If you just look at him, he moves in truth to brokenness by wells. People who are thirsty. I mean, he meets a promiscuous woman and truth moves toward her. I just began to list encounters with God where truth prevailed. He met a man who was demoniac plagued and truth moved toward him and freedom was brought near. He met a man who was blind and thought by others to be beholden to sin and went and read this encounter, just consistently asked, why have you or your parents sinned? And the Lord is saying no, no, no no this is not what he is about i want to move in truth toward him jesus arrests the distress of lies and suffering and liberates you and i in the truth of who he is and more importantly in the truth of who we are in him he's the truth i mean here's you talk about the woman at the well you've you talk about the blind. You talk about the woman with blood. You, you can just list all these encounters. And Jesus, Jesus moved toward a short tax collector and just said, I want to bring truth to your home. I want to bring freedom to your home. I want to bring hope to your home. I want you to be more fully defined than you are right now. And I, I think that these people that he moved towards are the very ones that others would move to the other side of the street to run from. And so, for every one of us in this room who are beholden to the cross, welcome to a Jesus who ran full throttle toward you regardless of your circumstance. If you happen to be pretty good, it was filthy rags to him. If you happen to be desperate, It was beauty to him. Jesus just looked at us and said, by my grace and in my truth, I am going to fully disclose who the heavenly father is and I am going to redeem or purchase back the circumstance of who you are. Jesus would say to this group as as they move forward, God has not forsaken God in truth is moving toward others. The spirit of God is unswerving in commitment to truth and undying for love so that he would 48 hours from now move in grace. He would put his hand on Judah's shoulder and say, do what you need to do. He would meet Peter beside a river and restore him to faith and he will meet you in truth by grace for glory. I just invite you to Jesus today to meet him. The scripture says that God's unswerving commitment to truth is just grace. The cross is the declaration of the truth that he lived while walking this earth. The cross is truthful declaration of God's love for sinners and his insatiable appetite for redemption. And I like that. And I think it's on the wall. And if it's not, it's popping up now. God, I just want to say this again. And perhaps just give you hope It is a declaration the cross of god's love for sinners and his insatiable appetite for redemption and so as you walked in this room or as you make your way through the journey feel free to walk and meet in the way and feel free to live truth before him and understand his redemptive hand and his redemptive work Mother Teresa said, what do you do when you see the orphan, the blind, the deaf, the dying? And here's what she said, which I think reflected the heart of Jesus. I see Jesus in distressing disguise. I see Jesus gathered on Sunday mornings, often in distressing disguise of having put ourselves together to present ourselves in a certain way. And Jesus says this, I am the only truth. I am the only righteousness. And you can't put yourself together enough. You meet him at the place of the cross and you meet righteousness that will cover you and bring a wholeness to your life. I wrote this sentence and I think it's powerful. The true measure of righteousness, the true measure of truth is Jesus. Nothing less. That's why he says to them, I'm not like, I want you to think about, you know, running one of these ways with me or find your own way. He just said, I'm it. And people don't come to the Father through me, but if you'll come through me, your hands will not rank and you will walk in a peace that surpasses understanding. He's saying this, I am the way, I am the truth. Thomas, I'm the truth to get you home. I'm the righteousness to get you home. If you want to understand this place I'm building, I am the truth for that place. I am the righteousness for that place. I am the wholeness for that place. And then he ends and just says, and by the way, I'm the life. And we'll we'll cover this next week in the resurrection and the life. But he's filled with the spirit of God and he uses this as this, this way home, this truth to be known. And in verse he says, look, I'm going to come back and get you. And I'm going to do this because I died and I was raised. I'm going to receive you to myself. And here's what he's saying to us as the followers of Jesus. It's kind of your marching orders right now. In the space between while you're still here, um, I'm the life. In the space between my coming again and you remaining here, I'm the life. In this walk, I would like for you to express the life of who I am as you walk this earth. One of the great moves of God found in an Old Testament prayer is that he moves toward us as the way and truth. And then he says, there's a gap. And it's it's some mystery. I mean, I would appreciate if this gap could just be closed by the Lord. Like, I've come to know you. Extract me from walking this journey. And he said, there's a gap here. And here's how I want you to walk in that gap. I want you to walk as the very life that I express through you. He said in an Old Testament prophet in number six chapter, it's a prayer. It's a priestly prayer. You will know it well. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. I want to start singing it now. And the more may he be gracious to you, may the Lord look with favor on you, and will he give you peace? May he give you the peace that surpasses understanding. And it's really this. Here's what the Lord is doing. I am turning my face toward you in the fullness of life, and I'm giving you wholehearted attention, and we rarely get that. I'm not getting it from a lot of you right now, like you're on your phone. We rarely give or receive undivided attention and hit the Lord is saying these words. It's not that I want to just have this short Snapchat distracted conversation with you. I want you to know that my life is fully engaged with your life. And I want to meet you where you are. I want to bless you. I want to protect you. I want to walk with you. I want my face to shine upon you. I want it to be the hope of your life. I want to be gracious to you. And I want to look on favor with you. And I think we should be looking at him and going, there's no place that I would rather be. There's no place that I would rather be than here in your love, Lord, in the middle of your face and your life, moving toward me. That's, that's the power of the wonder of the way and the truth is that in this gap, we walk fully immersed in the life of Jesus so that we might walk fully, what's the word? Fully just distributing The life of Jesus as we make our way through this earth is fully connected to him. And I would say it's rare that we in this room give him our full attention. And it should be rare no more in this room that we not turn our face to the one whose face is coming after us as a lion. Longing to shine upon us. In boldness and with truth. In our face, his Paul wrote in Corinthians, you see Moses is beautiful when I'm praying. This as well for each of you. I am praying that there will be a light that emanates a life that flows out of you that is a transformational light of Jesus that is increasing with with this reality that your face is shining toward him and his face is shining toward you and there is a peace and truth and way about who you are and it is beginning to bring life to you and with ever increasing glory to translate it accurately from glory unto glory unto glory unto glory glory, the life of Christ is radiant through you and it is moving toward us others and one day that light might might just be profound where you just find yourself standing fully with him just released from this earth but until then live that life, live that truth, live that way as you make your way through the cross wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus and called to be distributors of his life. Glory to God. Jesus, you have come that we might have life and that it will be full. God, it is a holy, holy, beautiful week. I pray that we would walk in the path of truth. I pray that the voice of truth would continuously wreck the lies that abound for us and draw us to truth. For God, there is life there. There is righteousness there. We are free from condemnation there. We are whole in truth. God, there is a battered and stained cross that draws us to your way, that steeps us in your truth, and that mobilizes us for your life. And oh, Father, I pray that you would bind our lives. You would rest our souls. You would steep our spirits in the cross. Lord, I pray that you would stake us within three feet of the cross where we will reach behind us, reach before us, and we will fill the rugged, stained wood of the cross and live our lives in its shadow. For you have built that for us. You have sacrificed there for us. You have exploded death, hell, and the grave through that cross. And so Jesus, in this holiest of weeks, may we be a people of the way. God, may we pursue truth and find it in you. God, may we in that feed others. Life. Church, we just want to worship and just respond to the great love of Christ. We want us to respond in song. We will respond by an altar that may be filled with knees. Bow before the Lord our God, our Maker. If you would like some holy space just to come and pray, we welcome you to this altar. Just to acknowledge that Jesus is enough. Some of our pastors are here at the front. We just believe that there's something powerful. Something heavenly about hearing your name lifted before the Lord. If you would like to have someone pray for you, we would count it a humble privilege. We really just want to create an atmosphere at the close of every service so that the only name left standing in this service is Jesus. His glory, his name, his renown. So I just invite you to worship, peeling away all that is not him, and finding freedom in him. So would you stand, make your way to an altar, lift holy hands to the Lord, sing of his goodness, pray with the pastor, can we just be worshipers there? Yes, Lord.